Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Project Tahiti. It's a magical place. Uh, we are in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Recap Podcast. I'm Jess, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by Jared, your other host. Hi, Jared. Hello. Um, just to reiterate, we are a recap podcast, and we do talk about spoilers at the end of the episode. We'll give you plenty of warning. Don't worry. Um, for the spoilers, just make sure you're caught up through the end of season five. You can watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on Netflix. All five seasons are available. So, yeah. Um, for a while. You'd think that they'd be moving over to a Disney play soon. Right. Oh, I hope I hope they just stay on Netflix and not ready to... <laughs> to, to get another anything <laughs> just just stay as is <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be moving over to that i'm sure anyway for the new star wars content but yeah definitely um that's not until next year though right right it's not i think it, it's I, like the end of next year too i think that's true um yeah so, so we got time hopefully we it'll do. be gone at least through like the next season starting like i, I would know hope. and also hopefully just because it's a network show it'll stay on netflix uh i don't even know because the licensing and all that kind of stuff i don't know how that works if you can have it on two platforms it definitely can <laughs> I, mean I know for a while there were several things like i think 30 rock was on both hulu and netflix because multiple networks and studios can have uh, deals with more than one thing at a time it just depends on how they're negotiated i think it's yeah the way streaming developed it was kind of uh, anybody's ball game they could categorize it however they wanted it was new media or whatever so like the the old rules didn't apply so exclusivity isn't as isn't as universal as it is on other stuff okay that makes sense so i was just thinking yeah, hopefully it won't won't leave anytime soon yeah hopefully not and i mean well whatever we can we'll get to that hurdle when it comes <laughs> i guess <laughs> Um, so anyway, we are going to be talking about season one, episode four today, uh, titled I Spy. Very clever title. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, it's the word I, <laughs> I, E Y E spy, um, written by Jeffrey Bell, directed by Roxanne Dawson, originally aired October 15th, 2013. Um, the scene opens in Stockholm, Sweden. <laughs> um, so there's these creepy dudes in red masks and suits and hats holding briefcases and they're walking through like a town square into a subway station. And as they're walking through the town square, a black woman comes into focus and she's closing her eyes and then she opens them and she follows them down into the subway and gets on the train with them. Um, there's this really tense moment as this woman is watching them. She's like looking up and down the line of these dudes with these masks. They're all looking at her. And then she breaks the glass on what I'm assuming is like a, a fire axe so they can like break through the windows. I'm not, I wasn't really hundred percent sure what that was. The lights go out very dramatically. And then the lights come back on as the train comes into the station, everyone's screaming and getting off and Everyone that's wearing a red mask is on the ground or on the seats, dead. And there's one uh, one of them that has his hand cut off and the briefcase is gone. And the next scene is her sitting um, somewhere in the, uh, the train railway. I don't even know what to call that. Um, and she opens up the briefcase. She knows the code to the briefcase and it's a case full of diamonds and she puts it in her backpack and she disappears. So that's the, that's the cold open. <laughs> um, so now we're on the bus. Coulson and May are in the cockpit. May's flying and Coulson's kind of, you know, shooting the shit with her. And he's like, you know, I always wanted to be a pilot. It's never too late, right? What do you like about it? And May's like the solitude. Basically, she's like, leave me alone. <laughs> this is my alone time. I'm enjoying myself. Um, just a cute moment between the two of them. Uh, meanwhile, down in the lab, Fitz and Ward are going over this new tech. And this is the first glimpse of the night-night gun um, that plays a very significant role in uh, the rest of the season, essentially, and in, in, in seasons beyond that, even. Um Coulson comes down and he's trying to figure out where Sky is and he finds that she's hiding in the SUV because uh, it reminds her of her van. They have kind of a cute moment and Coulson's like, hey, we got a case we got to work on. 
It's about a diamond thief. So they head to Stockholm. Um, Sky, May, and Coulson are walking to the scene of the crime. And essentially someone is stealing diamonds. And there's been multiple hits. Um, and there's one person in particular that's been associated with all these hits and actually I, I put that on here and I don't think we find that out until later or no we do because there's a whole conversation never mind um so so they're talking about how this woman is pre- has been present at all of these uh all of all of these I- situations and she like closes her eyes and um she somehow knows exactly where the diamonds are who has them and it's very mysterious and weird and <laughs> sky kind of tests this idea of this person having telepathy and she has this line of you know you mentioned that she's closing her eyes it's either super random or important and it just kind of goes to show like the self-awareness of the show once again because <laughs> um, you know when you're like watching i don't know if you're like this jared but sometimes when i'm watching shows like this i try to figure out like what's happening before the end of the episode oh and- I, it definitely depends on the show but like yeah that's um that's nikki and i have been watching a lot of like mystery stuff lately uh, uh and like occasionally too early on, I'll be like, Hey, you think this is what happens here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she's like, I'm not trying to worry about it yet, but but it's like a few episodes in. it's always like, they are just going back and forth with like, Ooh, maybe it's this person or that person. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Maybe this well, is what, what's really, what they're really hinting at. Cause like, that's totally. That's totally know. a thing like oh, yeah. that shows do. And so it's just funny that Sky's like drawing attention to it, that that's a thing within the, within the show. <laughs> So it's it's just funny. Um, so Sky makes a point that, you know, Instagram is going to be or just social media in general is going to be a great resource for this because, you know, a bunch of guys with creepy masks get on a subway. You're going to take pictures or videos of them. So um, they go back on the bus and they're kind of going scouring the, the the social media databases using facial recognition to figure out if there's anyone in the background um, that you know, meets the description of this woman and, and may suggest, you know, we can run it, um, uh, against the databases for any shield agents. And Colson's like, no, we don't have to, um, this is the woman right here. And we get a close up, and it's the same woman that we saw at the beginning. Um, and Colson's like, her name is Akila Amador. She's a former shield agent and she trained with Colson, uh, conveniently enough. Um, basically she was on a mission, and she supposedly went rogue and the other agents on the mission died and she disappeared and no one's seen her since. So um, also in the scene, uh, May mentions HQ um, and contacting them so they can have, you know, a larger manhunt and Coulson wants to hold off on looping in HQ. Maybe his feelings are getting in the way of this mission as, <laughs> early on. As, as they tend to do. yes this is not a one-time thing um so uh you know colson and and sky are kind of talking about amador and he mentions that amador places very little value in teamwork and he thought that he could essentially fix her and you know he this mission is sounding more and more like he wants to save this woman that he failed at saving early on in his career or you know at some point in his career and it seems like Coulson has a little bit of a savior complex, maybe. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the scene cuts to Amador. She has her eyes closed and she grabs a golf club and opens the door to her t- hotel. She's in a hotel. She-, she opens the door to her hotel room and there's a man there and she attacks him and pins him on the bed. And she's like, that you're coming alone. Like very clearly she knew like this man was there and that he has people with him. Um, You know, like, kind of challenging that whole telepathy theory that that uh everyone else shot down that sky that sky had um so the guy is there for the diamonds and she gives him a a diamond golf ball that you know the the golf ball dissolves and there's a handful of diamonds in this guy's hands in exchange for this mysterious access card that we're not sure what it's for yet or where, where where she needs to use it um so the the team has figured out that amador is in belarus somewhere so everyone's in the van except for May, who's back on the bus, who's covering for Coulson with HQ, just saying that they're, you know, following a lead, not giving details. Um, and Fitzsimmons are, are very happy that they don't have to see combat this mission, that they just get to stay on the bus. They're just going to be tracking her electronically. 
Um, and then Ward and Coulson go to the hotel where they know Amador is staying to to follow that lead. And Ward mentions, you know, I can only imagine how painful this must be for you. Um, you know, one of your own, like betraying you and, you know, going rogue and it's just like a very odd conversation. <laughs> um, and they get a Ward gets a phone call because the kids on the on the, in the van uh, are like, we have to pee. What do we do? They're very clearly new to these field missions, still very green in the field. And Ward is just not having it. And he hangs up on them. <laughs> um, so Sky, they find this weird signal, this weird feed. So Sky starts working on it and they realize it's kind of a surveillance feed and it's a little weird. And they realize that their van is in sight on this feed and suddenly it goes to backscatter or x-ray vision. Um, and it's Amador and she is in a truck and drives into the van and the van gets hurled over the side of this ditch that they're parked next to, which why would you park next to a ditch? That seems very, very bad planning. For, for these experienced agents, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a good way to get out. Yeah, like they um, had no cover whatsoever. Just- yeah, yeah, they're just parked like, you know, next to these barren trees, <sighs> whatever. Um, anyway, so the kids are fine. Everyone's fine. They're back on the bus. Um, May and Ward are pretty mad at Colson that he's still pursuing this without uh, the blessing of headquarters because Amador basically tried to kill them. And Colson's like, you know, we would be dead if she wanted us dead, which doesn't make it any better <laughs> um but sky um realizes or you know shows you know they're they're looking at the feed um or she gets better access to the feed or whatever whatever we want to call it and they realize that amador's eye is the camera and it's definitely not shield tech it's something very advanced fitz makes a very uh solid point that they don't have that. <laughs> and Sky kind of throws this funny comment at Ward, like, you're a robot. Can you do that? And Ward's face is just like, these children on this plane. I'm so beyond this. No, that was, um, that was a solid burn. It really was. It was great. <laughs> um, and then May walks over to Colson, and they kind of have this disagreement. Like, May's like, look, I know you feel like you let her down. Maybe you pushed her too hard, but you can't let this jeopardize everyone's lives on this team. Like you're you're putting this one former agent above everyone else's safety. And That's he's what like, he does. <laughs> no. And it's like really bad when you put it in those terms. It's like, yeah, she's totally right. Um, and then suddenly there's like text on the screen from Amador's feed and they realize that she's receiving orders on this camera and Colsa kind of uses this to justify that they need to go after her and uh, handle this with their small team because she's very obviously being controlled, which they have no evidence for. <laughs> except, you know, except for that one line of text. Yeah, it, it, um, orders he interprets as like coercion or or whatever just because he because he wants to protect anyone who yeah. ever, ever, ever considers his people like he, he's on and just in yeah. general like you like in that first episode with mike like he if he can help somebody he will he doesn't want to yeah. hurt people he's yeah and he calls amador their own and ward makes it a very strong point to say she's not one of our own like she like betrayed us and left the organization and i don't know the fact that that keeps getting brought up kind of makes you suspect that there's a deeper story to it, which we find out there is at some point. So um, uh, Coulson's in his office and Sky comes in and they kind of have this really nice moment. She acknowledges, you know, that he values people and he values her and she really appreciates that. And she believes him and is on his side uh, for this mission. So he knows that Sky has his back at least. And she says this line like, you know, yeah, I almost died, but it wasn't nearly as bad as watching mom and dad fight downstairs, which is really cute because, yeah, they are essentially the mom and dad of the team. And, well, and particularly for Sky, like it feels like. Oh, definitely. Well, like, like you said, for the whole team, but I feel like for her especially, they're, uh, yeah. the two of them fill that, that role for her. Yeah. And I secretly think that Sky stands Felinda as well. One heck. <laughs> Heck, non-spoiler spoiler i guess it's it's a spoiler of what it isn't but i remember yeah. at the time people were like i wonder if skies you know being an orphan will come into play and people because i think of uh of chloe's uh biracial status where some some people were like oh, i wonder if it's she's secretly uh you know phil and may's there. daughter i know <laughs> I, I remember that being at the time and i had just stopped watching it actively and being like 
that's super okay. comic booky. Like, like, like that's out there, but that's so comic booky. Like that's not that crazy. Like, like she erased their memories and stole their oh daughter. My uh, God. Like it, it would have would have been cringy and awful, but at the same time, <laughs> like, I would I wouldn't have been that shocked. This would have been like j- j- like Joss Whedon would have gotten like lost in his old '60s soap opera comic books. Like, but they, they were out there. Oh. It's definitely comic book stuff. Well, I can safe to say that is not what happened. Yeah, definitely. Thank God, because that would have been awful. Well, then she would have been ca- prob- Cable from the X-Men, basically. Oh, God. He Cyclops' oh God. son from the future. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. That's ridiculous. He's like 30 years older than his dad. Oh, it's weird. It's weird stuff. Comic books are so weird. Oh, no, and then to like give them a deeper personal connection, because, I don't know, there's a lot of good examples of adoption in comics and in Marvel comics, but... For whatever reason, they wanted him to be raised by uh, Cyclops and Jean Grey. So on their honeymoon in the comics, their their minds were sent to hijack two people who had just died's bodies to raise him in the future, in like the far flung future. Yeah, yeah. And they lived out <laughs> and they lived out like fifteen years of like raising him from like infancy to young adulthood and then got their brains zapped back into their bodies. So like f- when I was a kid reading these things, like their characters were supposed to be twenty five. But their brains yeah. were like forty. Um, <laughs> like it didn't. I was fascinated with it, but they also just like completely ignore it. Like, yeah, of course, because it's much easier than dealing with yeah. this every week. But yeah, safe to say, while we get into some pretty heavy, deep comic book style weirdness as far as both sci-fi and everything you can think of, like like as far as emotional and character drama. Uh, Sky's origin is much simpler. Thank goodness. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. So, um, I th- I didn't put this in the notes for some reason, but essentially, uh, they decide to watch the feed from Amador's eye and see if there's any clues to her locate her new location. So, um, it, Coulson it, runs downstairs. Oh, go ahead. So they've hacked into her eye, so they're yeah, spying, yeah, yeah. spying on it now. I spy. (laughs) Um, Somebody was really, really satisfied. Like we've talked about how this is not our favorite episode. Like it's not bad. It's just not meaty as far as like discussion goes. But I I feel like maybe some of that just go, maybe they, they they rested on their laurels a little bit. Once they had that line in the writer's room, they're like, like once somebody pitched that title, they're like, Oh yeah, no, this episode, nudge, oh, like, like this episode's nudge, already nudge, done. Wink, wink. Yeah, <laughs> like, this writes itself, and then you know, comes time to oh shoot. They're like, God. oh wait, no, it doesn't write itself. <laughs> like, like, that's not a thing. Oh, so so funny, so funny. Um, so anyway, May decides to take the first watch of this feed, and Coulson runs downstairs, and Fitz is asleep. It's clearly the middle of the night, and the feed is turned off, and they realize that May has gone after Amador alone, and she knows the hotel that she's staying in in Belarus. Um. So May goes and confronts Amador and she's like, look, I, if I look at you, they're going to identify you as an, a shield agent and I'm going to have to kill you or they'll kill me. So we find out that there's like some kind of kill switch in her eye and they have some hand-to-hand combat and it looks like May is going to lose because Amador knocks out the lights and use her, the, the backs, what is it called? Backsplatter? X-ray vision, whatever, <laughs> night vision. This this eye implant is very very uh, versatile. <laughs> That's right. All <laughs> very the, very all high the tech. All the visions. So essentially, she can see in the dark, and May can't. And so she grabs a gun to shoot her. And Coulson busts in the hotel room with the night night gun and shoots Amador, and she goes out. Uh, Amador wakes up on the bus, and she's freaking out because she's like, "Oh my god! Like they're gonna know that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, and they're gonna kill me." She tells Coulson, "You know, there's a kill switch in my eye." And Coulson's like, don't worry, like, we got this. We hijacked the feed into a pair of glasses and Ward is wearing them and he's completing her mission. And so Coulson and Amador are able to have this reconnecting moment. And she's kind of like, where's the I told you so, you know, I ended up captured and you were right. And he's like, I'm just glad you're safe and you're alive. I'm not that person anymore. And um, they kind of work out clues based on the text that she receives, who or what kind of person her handler might be. So they go, you know, they do their whole spy thing. They're profiling, <laughs> profiling skills. 
And then they uh, get Amador into surgery to have her eye removed so that they can disconnect the kill switch so she doesn't have to live in fear anymore. Um, Ward goes and complete or continues to complete her mission with Sky in the backseat of the shield car that is driven into this parking lot, which I was like, wait, why would why are they driving this SUV around with a shield logo on the side? But maybe they take the logo on and off. I don't know. I think it's a little dumb. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why are you broadcasting that you're there anyway? Um, so they go to this like factory, like research center, and Ward's like walking through. He's like getting, you know, uh, directions to like go wherever. Sky's like, don't show your man hands, don't look in a mirror, like don't let them know that you're not Amador. Um, and he finally gets to this uh, secure room, and there's a guard, and he's like, yeah, no problem, I'll just knock him out. And Sky's like, no, like, uh, or so there's this guard, and. Ward gets the orders to seduce the guard and he's like, no, I can't. I'll just knock him out. This is not going to (laughs) work. This guy's like, no, what if you need him for something? Like you can't just knock him out. And so he goes into uh, bromance him and he's talking in what I'm assuming is Russian uh, about these, you know, these Ukrainian girls that hung out with last night and, oh, did you catch that game? And it's very, like stereotypical bro wannabe bro conversation the guard is just not having it so he has to knock him out and he gets into the next room where a little unexpected there's like these two dudes working at these typewriters (laughs) um and there's just a chalkboard around the entire wall with all these math formulas on it and ward finally gets to a part of the wall where it is no longer math it's some of kind of weird alien script which we will see again. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Foreshadowing. <laughs> and the glasses take a picture of the chalkboard and his mission is complete. And then he says, good luck. Because uh, Ward has to now get out of the building because they did need the guard to uh, set a password on the computer so it, an alarm would not go off after he entered the room. Um Colson is going after the handler. Uh, they are able to pinpoint the handler's location. Every time he sends new messages, they can get closer and closer. Uh, Ward is still running, trying to escape. Amador is in surgery. Uh, Ward accidentally looks into a mirror. And so the handler now knows that it is not Amador that is completing the mission. And Simmons and Fitz barely contain Amador's eye in this bucket before the kill switch goes off. And there's a big poof and the eye explodes which is great. So now Amador has no eye. (laughs) Um, So Coulson catches up with the handler. He finds him in this square and the guy has a kill switch go off in his own eye. So the handler was uh, trapped in whatever weird sci-fi creepy world that Amador was in as well. Um, So, Colson and Amador have a nice moment on the bus as Amador is getting carted off with shield cops. I don't know what to call them. <laughs> Essentially, she's going to have to do some kind of um, trial because she did. Yeah, like a tribunal or whatever. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, and then Amador has a moment alone with May as they're walking down the ramp. And Amador's like, what did they do to Colson? Like, what did they do to him? And May's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So there's just like this weird significant moment where someone from Colson's past that knew him very well knows something's up. Like something something happened to him. He didn't just die. I wonder what that could have been. <laughs> hmm. Um and then the final scene is Fitz and Ward just being buddies and they're playing cards. And Fitz is trying to cheat because Sky is in her room behind Ward with the glasses that have the x-ray vision and she's like look you know if i you know and they're talking to each other through comms and this guy's like look you know if i do this i'm gonna see you without any clothes on and fitz is like nope can't handle it i'm out i fold and ward's like what sky still puts the glasses on and uses the x-ray vision to look at ward without his clothes on (laughs) yay so when i was watching this billy walked in billy's my boyfriend for those of you who don't know and he's like, yeah, you know, she's doing that with Logan Paul now. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> it totally ruined it for me. <laughs> uh, we won't get into that. So I don't 
I didn't have anything specific to discuss in this yeah, I episode. Mean, it doesn't really. I feel like the only thing worth really talking about, as far as discussion, I suppose, is just the way it kind of establishes Coulson's pattern of behavior even more than the first three episodes, where like he takes care of his own and he isn't necessarily the way he's always been and he isn't necessarily a typical shield agent because these guys are very much like by the books by you know and by the numbers get the job done and even even though he has more personality than that in thor you know and in right what was he in one of the uh, iron man movies before i think he was yeah. uh, iron man 3 maybe i, I think he was in a couple of them yeah at least briefly <laughs> yeah but he wasn't in the first one i don't think but he might have been too, or maybe he was. No, he was in the first one. So, so, yeah. so, so he's been, he's been around the longest, and, and for, for for sure. Like, like, but I feel like, you know, slowly we get more and more into his personality. At first, they're just kind of like quirks and jokes that Clark Gregg gets to have, I think. But you know, we kind of get more and more of it. He has this heart before you know what happens uh, in Avengers and before. Uh, he goes through any sort of change. He still seemed like he had a, a, a lot of heart. So him taking responsibility for Amador makes sense. And other than what you said, which is totally true, just about how like, it's like, he's definitely got this uh, savior complex in general that is very, uh, I think epitomized by stuff we can talk about in the spoiler section. Yeah. But he, well, yeah, he's just, he, he, he it's, Sometimes that stuff's very performative and it's from a selfish and narcissistic and like martyry place. But I don't think that's the case with Colson. I don't think it's ever how it's meant to be portrayed. I think he genuinely cares about people and, but it's just, he puts too much pressure on himself and it's just not healthy to, to have all your well, relationships puts, that way, you know? Yeah. And he puts other people at risk as well. Like the kids could have died in the van, like, very easily like if she, like like you said if she wanted them dead they would have been dead and that would have been on him for taking this mission and also i think i think too um and i mean he's been lucky so far with his instincts because like the stuff with sky and mike could have totally gone south um even just his belief that fitz and, and simmons would find a cure for mike peterson as well in the pilot and that sky wasn't gonna like you know, totally go rogue with Ian Quinn, his instincts with people are very good. So I think that like the team is learning to, well, especially May, I feel like Sky trusts his instincts and made that very clear. May clearly does not because she has experience as a spy. I don't know. It's interesting. So far we have not, his instincts have not been wrong. Um, but they do seem to be motivated I think we are seeing more and more, like you said, with May contradicting him, less with less by his instincts and more by emotion. Yeah, by his emotions and his attachments. Yeah. And he's not, you know, you go back again to our Star Wars roots. Or, uh, <laughs> he, he's not doing the Jedi way. You know, he's uh, he's very much constantly being influenced by how much he he cares about people. But you might, I also think it's reasonable to characterize that as what makes him good at what it, what he does and what makes him like unique in his job and. It, it's not necessarily a detriment as much as it's like a character defining thing, but it's also not necessarily mm -hmm. a good thing. Like you said, it's worked out so far, but he also puts people at unnecessary risk because of his attachments and his sentiment sentimentality and his, uh, yeah. uh, I think over being overly responsible for other people, you know? Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of a hard line to walk. I mean, I get like he did end up being right in all of these cases and I'm sure he knows that like he wants to see things through as far as possible before he has to make that hard call. And we've seen him make the hard call. Like he made the hard call um, with Dr. What's his name? The physicist um, where he had to let him sacrifice himself to stabilize the gravitonium. Like it's, it's been, you know, he, he's willing to do that when it does. He, he goes as far as he can until he can't anymore. But um yeah, I don't know. It, it's something we'll definitely have to keep talking about in the in the coming episodes because it's something that it, it doesn't go away. <laughs> True. So I think with that, we can get into the spoiler section. Um, so if you have not watched through season five of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., stop what you're doing. Go watch it. 
<laughs> come back and listen to the rest of this. You have been warned. Well, All right. going straight from where we just were, like I feel like you know he never, he never like like actually kills people or whatever. He never lets thousands and thousands of people die for one person, but he puts the world at risk for one person all the time. It's like the Star. Oh yeah, you know, Star Trek needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. And, and oh my god! And it reminds me. Sorry, it just reminds me of of season five when, um, Scott. Like, there's that whole prophecy where Sky, well, Daisy at that point is the destroyer of worlds and he still saves her and brings her back to like the current timeline from the future. He's not going to give up on her. And it's like, he he potentially puts the entire world, the entire human race at risk. Well, it's very similar. I feel like uh, it's a trait that he has in common with Mac too, you know, where like, yeah, where Mac has a very Captain America like speeches in, in season five that felt very much in Coulson's wheelhouse, like, uh, for the first part of parts of the series where, you know, it talks less about the needs of the, of, of the many versus needs of the few. And just more like, you know, you never leave anyone behind and just, they don't take a life yeah. unless they have to. I, I like yeah. life is precious to them. And like, I don't know, it's something that you gotta, uh, we, we have to be realist enough to know that real life espionage agents, you know, who are in wet works and murder people, they're not, they can't be quite so, uh, optimistic and like, well, I think I think Ward, I think Ward and May are a good balance to that because they are those types of agents where they're willing to put people down and maybe ask fewer questions than Coulson and Mac probably would. No, they're your, and I think, they're your James Bonds, and they are as, yeah. as, as fanciful as those characters are. They're much more grounded in reality because they don't have mm-hmm. just like Batman or Superman, like Captain America, like Moral Compass. Yeah, definitely. And they're just there to do a job. Like they don't have any emotional attachment to a lot of this. But I think Coulson, especially the couple missions that they've been on, they're involved with either former S.H.I.E.L.D. assets or S.H.I.E.L.D. former S.H.I.E.L.D. agents or just people that Coulson likes and wants to take under his wing. And so we're kind of seeing like a, a different, probably a different side to that. But even when it's not shield assets or agents that are involved, Coulson gets very like real with with these I don't even know what to call them, suspects, um victims, whatever, whatever. Well, it's like yeah, like like Mike uh, uh Peterson, right? He he, mm-hmm. was the, he he was the only person so far who didn't have a previous connection to either Coulson himself or to Shield, like you said, you know, uh mm-hmm. uh the, Professor was a shield asset, you know, his ex uh, who he uh, fought with uh, in the one where they uh, have to discover the artifact or the, uh, oh, or the, yeah. the, the, the item uh, in the temple. The the or, uh, Peruvian lady. Yeah, uh, uh, Commandant whatever. Oh, uh, Camilla. Camilla. There we go. Yeah. yeah. I, remember she was, I remember that she was Commandant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she got a promotion. Yeah. Uh, no, he and then you know in this one, uh, we have uh, Aquila uh, Amador. But he, either way, it's someone. It's almost like they haven't gotten increasingly personal, but at the same time, like there are people who he has like he has an attachment to to Camilla. So even though she exploits him in the end and, and isn't an, an ally, like at the beginning, he's he has an affection and empathy for her that he wouldn't have for a stranger. But but in the first episode, you know, he has this basic human empathy that's greater, I think, than a lot of characters and a lot of real people, even where like he really cares about Mike Peterson's well being right off the bat and is willing to go to, go, go as far as he is can without putting other yeah. people in crazy danger to, to to save him. And and then so that it goes from that to someone who he has an affection for and a relationship with to then someone who is in his care as an asset. Even someone who he trained and had a, like a familial and mentor like relationship. So in a weird way, it's not like a direct progression of closeness because he was probably the closest to Camilla. But at the same time, it is like a connection, a, a direct progression of of, of uh, people who he feels like he needs to take care of being in direct danger. Yeah, uh, it's continue. just showing us it's a spectrum of relationships that he's had probably. But um, and it's I, kind of a caretaker, which is, yeah. Like, mm. Even with Mike Peterson, even with the, someone who he's just met, no matter what he, he goes about it as a caretaker. And as I, yeah, that's true. 
It's an interesting mm-hmm. character. He's like, you don't think of like a super spy guy as like a nurturer, but it's something that's very much a part of Coulson's character from the beginning. Like the way he connects with Mike and tries to connect with, with Sky from the beginning or Daisy, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's yeah. I like, I like it because it's very not typical uh, toxic masculinity. You know, it's not like, yeah. you, you, I, I worked in early childhood and like people don't, don't, assume that men are nurturing it's usually quite the opposite and mm-hmm. uh it's cool like it's kind of cool to see especially where it's not not even that it's portrayed as a sign of weakness and other stuff but just as a, it's seen as like a as femininity or as not masculine like men it makes you less of a man or not a man if you are a nurturing man and that's not the case with colson at all it's just it's just a tiny aspect of who he is and how he relates to everybody yeah, and I do think this nurturing side of him is a strength because he, and especially we'll see in later episodes, like Sky slash Daisy learns this from him and she be, they essentially like, they're the ones that are essentially the first responders when they start reaching out to a lot of the inhumans and these powered people that they encounter. And he's always the one to go there and try to talk down, talk them down and without that compassionate nurturing side of him, he would not be as successful. And I always refer it to him doing his thing because that's really what it is. It's just what he does and what he's good at. So I really like that it's portrayed as a strength here. And I mean, it's being portrayed. I think the, he can do that without attachment. I think they're portray- the show is portraying the attachment portion of it as the weakness. Like, cause he can do it with characters, like you said, with Mike Peterson, where he doesn't have that previous relationship with, and it's fine and it works out. Yeah. He's putting people at risk to do it, but it's for the right reasons. And he's good at what he does. And he knows that he's good at what he does, but it's when it's when there's, he's too emotionally involved in the situation is where, either it's dangerous or his motives come into question, which is exactly what, what may was, was doing at this point. And I mean, she's there to check him also like she needs, it's important to have hold your leaders accountable, even in a situation like this, even though it's a situation where they report directly to each other. Um, they have free reign and they don't, uh, they don't, they don't answer to anyone. And so I think in a team like this, it is important to have that like check and checks and balances within the team. I don't know. Um, can we talk about Ward? Yeah. And, and how garbage he is <laughs> again, always. <laughs> so I think this is the episode where we start seeing more and more quotes where it's very obvious that the showrunners know where this character is going. Oh, for sure. So, like we've talked before about how we don't know, or like I'm always curious as to what exactly they knew was coming and what wasn't, but that's one I do not doubt. Yeah, this episode for sure. That line where he's like, I can only imagine how painful this must be for you, sir. Have one of your own betray you. Good Lord. Like, it's foreshadowing (laughs) and it's twisting a knife and it's all these things, but there's another aspect that I don't know that I think is interesting and. This is maybe I, I hate his character so much, but at the same time, like he is very layered, even though he's messed yeah. up. And like to him, I don't I, I see it as very in character, even though it is heavy handed foreshadowing, because he's preoccupied with with this because of his uh his family. Like he's the whole thing that set him off to begin with is like murdering or, or, or being willing to murder his brother who murdered their parents right yeah uh, like, like, like but, but even even before that because this oldest brother betrayed their family like he betrayed their younger brother by beating him and so yeah. and it was this defensiveness and like he ended up to the point where everyone he felt felt betrayed by everyone but his youngest brother but at the same time like an act of betrayal from someone close to him is what kind of is his defining characteristic and then he just like repeats that over and over again in his life and God, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I hate the character so much, but, but you're supposed to. Yeah, they. Do, well, not at this point, but they do a good job of doing it. Well, and like that kind of character, the kind of smug leading man dude. Like, I very rarely like them in general, and they do a good job of making him very much like I feel like that James Bond type. You know, where yeah, he toes the line of me being like I kind of like him because I'm supposed to, but I kind of hate him. 
because of the, yeah because of that type he is so i so the, his betrayal didn't hurt me as much as other people except like feeling <laughs> bad for uh for for sky and, Day- yeah. and daisy just being like because that is awful for them I know. Well, I think too, they do a good job in these episodes of kind of, and I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but humanizing him. So the whole like, he has to seduce this guard. So he kind of, you know, it's like a weird, embarrassing situation. And he's like trying to make the best of it, just doing his job. And then also like when him and Sky are in the SUV and she's like trying to take the cable off the glasses and he's like ticklish. And it's like, oh, he's not a robot, you know, like, there is a human under there somewhere and he seemingly has this like you know sympathizing moment with Coulson as they're like walking to go check out this lead and I don't know like it's it's it makes it hard it make well at least for me it made it even harder when we do find out that he betrays everybody and it doesn't help that he's also a very attractive man <laughs> like and he's developing all these like you know he's getting like close with fits they're like playing cards like blowing off steam and that is also heartbreaking to me that him and fits were like really becoming buddies and ward let him believe that and then he just like drops them into the ocean Ugh. just makes me so upset <laughs> So I don't know. I will. I, I feel like every spoiler section, I'm going to talk about how much I hate Grant Ward until he betrays us. And then we'll continue to talk about how much we hate him in the non-spoiler section. So <laughs> just going to be a just going to be a, a, a ongoing point. I'm pretty OK with that. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to bring up is the alien script on the chalkboard. Um, it's our first glimpse at this weird formula that Coulson starts drawing and carving into all these surfaces uh the fallout for this happens this season or it happens next season I don't remember Uh, I feel like it happens next like right I'm because it's somehow connected so this I know the serum is somehow connected to um uh Garrett's like declining health and that's why like right so she works for the centipede group and that's uh well the serum that that brought colson back to life is some is like uh gear oh yeah that's right i'm I'm getting like my yeah i'm getting my timelines all confused now i (laughs) good thing we're re-watching this (laughs) it's all all connected because garrett and colson and uh the centipede group are all like actually connected to hydra through this, yes. through this stuff, and it's all com- using everything they can to create eternal life or whatever, or extended, yeah, yeah. extended life. And uh, I think later on in this, in this season, I think it's in this season. Uh, yeah, they reveal that her uh, eye bomb was created by the centipede group. Yeah, and the guy well- in this episode, the Englishman, I think we end up finding out. Is uh, even though he only appears in this one, they, they explain that he also, you know, he was her handler. That he was he worked directly for them for the Senate for the centipede people. Yeah, and so they're behind. Uh, the, they're the connection between Hydra and Cybertech, who are what are going to turn Mike into Deathlock behind the scenes. Yes. So like, man, the connect all those seeds they're planting is all this stuff. They're in the the pocket of Hydra, but they're working with Shield. It's like. I know it's I mean like when I'm watching it I understand everything but I feel like now that I'm I feel like I need to make like a flow chart to connect everything because I'm trying to like remember based off of watching it I don't think I've watched rewatched the first season in a couple years I'm good thing this is a recap podcast and we're going through and watching everything so yeah that'll unfold later but it's just cool that this was the alien stuff was introduced pretty early on and i don't think we see the culmination of that until next season to be honest yeah i i I mean i can't remember but anyway we don't get is it the end of the it's the end of the second season that there's the winter soldier connection is that right i think so because the first season there's the Thor Dark World stuff coming up pretty soon, I think. With yeah, like within Sith. the next couple episodes, yeah. And then if if it's not until the second season, then that's really when we find everything out because we slowly yeah. get more and more revealed. Like like a lot of this stuff is revealed by the end of this season. Within the next like few episodes, we find more and more about 
uh, the stuff behind the scene with the centipede group. And then eventually that gives way and we find out that it was actually connected to Hydra. But yeah. like we were talking about with the one guy who I can't remember the name of the businessman who tried to recruit Sky. Like Oh, Ian Quinn. Yes, yes, Ian Quinn. Uh like his stuff is off screen by season three or whatever, but we mm-hmm. get that reference to him in season five with the yeah. with the callback to Graviton. So it's like this stuff keeps coming back. I know. But, and I love it. No, it's cool. I love it, it's that cool, they keep coming. It all yeah. has weight. Yes, definitely. So there wasn't a ton of was there some comics tie tie-ins Again, in this episode? Uh, not really, because like these characters weren't previously established. Shield agents, uh, the Englishman, her handler for Centipede yeah. wasn't from it. Aquila wasn't from the comics. Uh, I mean, the eye That's- technology stuff is sort of similar to uh, a character who I've been tweeting about a lot lately because she's back <laughs> in uh, in the public eye, uh, Psylocke from. Right, yeah. X Men, because one of that fe- one of the features when she was rebuilt by Mojo, which was the original idea, was this crazy, uh, kind of prescient in a weird way, uh, character named Mojo is from a dimension where everything was everything was run on uh, television, and like mm-hmm. people instantly reacting to television rate with through ratings and commentary. So it's basically like predicting reality TV and like interactive social media and like website like whatnot uh, voting for interacting with reality television uh, directly. And it was really weird just because it was the early 80s that the character was first created. But uh, the character Psylocke has uh, only recently been made less problematic, I suppose. It's kind of, can't really unring the bell, but it was a British character who's in fact the fraternal twin sister of Captain Britain. who's a blonde, blue-eyed uh, white lady who's had her body swapped with a Japanese woman. Oh my god! Uh, it's super screwed up. But in the original story, she was just basically like had radical altered other dimensional plastic surgery to become a Japanese woman. Eventually, it was revealed that they, she'd actually swapped brains or minds with a real with a real other person because comics. Yeah, it's made even more messed up. It was yeah, pretty pretty awful to begin with. But she had robot eyes that were like used to spy on the X Men and like. Uh, record everybody and uh it's kind of an interesting yeah that is idea i suppose and it feels like that was the first time i saw it in marvel comics the idea of like someone who was maybe a double agent having uh robot eyes put him maybe without their knowing that gave them both superpowers and uh some sort of uh ability to be tracked by other people and but i don't know if it was a direct inspiration or not i know that Joss Whedon and Jed Whedon were pretty into that kind of stuff, but, uh, and, and I mean, it's familiar, possible familiar it's, with comics, but yeah, it's very possible. And then I think there was one weird, uh, thing that I read. I'm sure you did too. And you're doing research on the episode, just that one of the songs in the episode was by Jed Whedon and his band. Oh my God. Was- I did read that. And I, <laughs> blocked it out <laughs> yes because i was like what <laughs> no it's funny because i feel like people uh, producers who weren't uh jed and and uh marissa uh Tantron, uh they are both on it like she does <laughs> she does the backup vocals in his band jed whedon and the willing and oh to me it reminds me of how the theme song for uh for firefly was written by Joss Whedon and performed by some cowboy who should not be recording. <laughs> but it, but uh, yeah, the, the trivia was that they, this was a song that he had previously written and he did not know it was going to be in the episode <laughs> that, that they put it in without him knowing. And then when it, when they first saw like the production, oh my God. Uh, like role that they were both like shocked and I think kind of embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause you see a lot of stuff like that where a celebrity puts their own stuff in intentionally. And I, I liked that they, it, it, it endears them to me that they did not, that they were like, like with their friends on the show. Yeah. Put it on and they were like, Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I can imagine being mortified, just being like, Hey, that's fine for anyone who goes willingly to see my band play but i'm not they're not trying to use a shield to drop their mixtape or whatever exactly exactly that's so funny oh my god but i do love that i love that idea too of like trying to stealth 
uh, advertise for their musical careers, just like con- yep. constantly having like posters for Jed Whedon and the Willing in the background. That's gonna be my. I'm gonna try and spot spot a uh, stickers on like uh, Sky's stuff or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I now that it's in universe, it's it's possible. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't. That's, I I love that. <laughs> um, I think that's it. If you have anything else, no. Like like you said, we we you know, there's not a whole lot of comic connections. Nothing of substance for any of. Uh, I know, you know this was like like as far as not not that the show, not that the episode didn't have substance, but just nothing that like connects it really. I feel like yeah, interesting. I mean, there's like. Like within the show, there's like the connection with um, uh, Centipede with the eye technology. Um, it does come back and they just plant, I guess, the seed of more. The Centipede has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. Mm-hmm. and is Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, um, I think that's all we got. Um, thank you for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Project Tahiti. You can send us an email at projecttahitipod at gmail.com. I am Space Jess with four S's in the Jess on Twitter. How about you? Uh, I am I Snow Nothing on Twitter and other stuff. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. Um, thank you for listening to Project Tahiti Podcast. It's a magical place. Later. Later. <laughs>